Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hello, hello. Intriguing concept this week that I wanted to dive into. The idea of saints and their links to witchcraft. But first, what's going down this week? Tomorrow, December 1st, is Rosa Parks Day, celebrated in some states across America. The famous civil rights activist who refused to give her seat up for a white man, her actions ignited black civil rights movements and started the ball rolling for the ending of racial segregation within America. A wonderful way to celebrate the day is to learn about her life and what she achieved for America, as well as supporting and amplifying black voices and those who fight for racial equality throughout America and the rest of the world. This day also marks the placement of the first military grave marker with a pentacle for veteran Stephen P. Snowberger, who was a Wiccan, who was laid to rest on this day in 2007. International Cookie Day falls on Sunday the 4th, Get Dunking My Witches, and it's followed by World Soil Day on the 5th, which focuses on the health of our soil and advocates for the sustainable management of soil resources. After World War II, the quality of our soil has been degrading due to monoculture and over-farming. If you don't already, and if you're able to, You could apply for a compost bin. It's free, I think, in some areas of the UK. I think I paid £10 for one when I lived in London. It's also a great day to learn about ecosystems and how to contribute towards healthy soil. There's TED Talks on YouTube about the health of our soil that you can learn about. We also have a full moon in Gemini on Wednesday the 7th, 
And it's National Grief Awareness Week in the UK, starting on the 2nd of December and ending on the 8th, aiming to raise awareness around aspects of grief and loss. Now, let's crack on with the show. Trigger warning, there is a brief mention of sexual assault, which is deliciously averted via a brutal bear attack. Before we dive in, I want to pause here and just talk about my relationship with Catholicism and Christianity. I try not to air my views on Christianity on here and to be as impartial as possible towards it because I don't think it's fair on you, my dear listeners. And this is quite challenging at times when looking into history and seeing how much damage the church has done and continues to do so, if we're being totally honest. I was raised a very mild Catholic and my mother wasn't very keen on the local church and we just fell away from it. But I very much keep Catholicism very firmly out of my practice. And just as a side note, when I'm saying all this, I am in no way, shape or form judging anyone for following Christianity or any religion. You do you. But for me, I'm ambivalent towards it. But this all being said... Whether I like it or not, my ancestry and bloodline is heavily tied to Christianity and Catholicism. And in terms of witchcraft, I think we should practice what has gone before us and what our ancestors have done. And when I say ancestors, I don't mean that generally. I'm talking about what did my grandmother believe and what spiritual practices did she adhere to? Not to say that you can't step out of these ideas and areas, but what's in our bloodlines, it has power. And who doesn't want to empower their craft? I certainly do. So I want to look into saints, and particularly saints who are strongly linked to witchcraft, because, yep, there are a few of those. And notice I say strongly linked to witchcraft, because if you look at a lot of saints and their backstories, the majority of them are witchy. A lot of saints have roots in folk magic, and really the saints, you could argue, they're magical practitioners that the church approves of. They are powerful energies and spiritual allies if they could be utilised in the correct way. And maybe take today with a pinch of salt if you have been traumatised via religion. I mean, do what feels right for you and interpret this information as you will. Let me define what a saint is. To quote the Oxford Dictionary, it's a person acknowledged as holy or virtuous and regarded in the Christian faith as being in heaven after death. But I should stress that saints aren't a solely Catholic or Christian affair. They actually predate Catholicism and Christianity by about 300 years, and they also show up in Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, Oriental Orthodox and Lutheran doctrine, and really the idea of miracle workers and saints exist in many traditions and faiths. Now within Christianity, technically there are two types, that of martyrs and that of confessors. Martyrs, they are someone who's died for their cause, often advancing Christianity. Now over time, the amount of martyrs becomes smaller and smaller as Christianity enters the mainstream. Confessors are people who have been tortured 
or persecuted for their faith, but they haven't been killed. There's also a hierarchy in that there are some major saints and some minor ones. And also, saints' positions, they're not fixed, and they can change throughout the ages, throughout time, with whatever's in vogue. For example, St. Bridget is having a massive revival at the minute, so that is something to bear in mind, that saints come in and out of popularity. Traditionally, Christians prayed to the saints to help their dead, and the saints as a concept, they're kind of like an intermediary psychopomp, and they're essentially a necromatic cult, which I think a lot of diehard Christians would be upset by that descriptor, but it's kind of what they are. So, how does one become a saint? Well, the formal modern process starts five years after their death. This is to allow people to process their grief so the application can be reviewed fairly. However, popes can waiver this and speed the process up. Mother Teresa, for example, her application was put in two years after her death. Next, the bishop of the area where the saint applicant died. They review their life, and they're looking to see if the person was holy and virtuous enough. Witness testimonies are also gathered. Once this is done, the bishop submits all this to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints. They basically put people forward as saints for the Pope's consideration. If the Pope accepts the case for consideration, the person is deemed, quote, a servant of God. So the Congregation for the Causes of Saints scrutinises the case and looks to see if people have been drawn to prayer because of the candidate. This then goes back to the Pope, and if he declares the person had heroic virtue, they gain the title of Venerable. The next stage is called beautification, and basically a miracle needs to be associated with the candidate via prayers after their death. The fact that people are already praying to the person shows that they are already in heaven, and they're able to play middleman with God. These miracles all need evidence, and if this is approved, the candidate carries the title of blessed. Martyrs can skip this step. Dying for the cause essentially counts as the miracle. Then another miracle needs to be attributed to the candidate after they gain the title of beautified. Once this is then verified, the Pope then holds a special canonization mass, speaking about the person's life and chanting a prayer declaring that the person is now a saint. So, for the first thousand years or so within Christianity, saints were a very local affair and decided on by local bishops. It's only later into the Middle Ages that Pope Innocent III takes control of this process and begins to regulate it. Now, more recently, in 1993, Pope John Paul II changed the waiting period after a person had died to start the process. So originally it was 50 years, and he lowered it to five. He also got rid of the role of the devil's advocate. This person was there to knock down the candidates who were put forward to be a saint and to pick holes in their case. John Paul also lowered the number of miracles required. The result was he canonised more people than all previous popes combined, which caused a stir at the time. People accused him of making a saint's factory and the fact that each application cost six figures. Now, a lot of saints get their own feast days, and back in history it got to a point where there were just too many saints, and people were kind of losing track of what saint's day fell when. 
Remember, with it being a local affair, a lot of saints were popping up. So to kind of group them all together, there is All Saints Day on November's 1st to honour all the saints. And just an interesting side note here, on saints' feast days, people would gather holy water on that day, which was deemed to be imbued with that saint's particular energy, and they would also pick herbs associated with the saint on that day at a particular time. Think of my St. John's Wort episode, where people would gather this herb on a summer solstice at noon. There's also power added when picking herbs as church bells rung as well. It all sounds a little bit witchy to me. Now, the idea of saints and sainthood was actually heavily tipped towards women. There are countless saints who are women, and they were kind of seen as these emblems of piety and holiness. Now, on the flip side of this coin was the witch, and the lines between these two different figures were often blurred until a very pivotal moment within European history. By the end of the 1400s, the idea of the saintly woman it was largely over and a new era was ushered in, and the next two centuries were smattered with witch trials. This pivotal moment was largely inspired by the publication of Malleus Maleficarum, written by Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Springer. For those unfamiliar, it's essentially a witch-hunting manual that would inspire European leaders and beyond to execute women and those with spiritual systems lying outside the framework of Christianity. Now, interestingly, Pope John Paul II, when he was on his mission to create new saints, focused heavily upon making a lot of women saintly to counter the claims that Catholicism wasn't inclusive of women. So let's look at some of our saints of witchcraft. First up, we have St. Columba of Sens. So, St. Columba has two versions to her story, in both of which she's a martyr, there's the French version, born into a noble pagan family. Columba converted to Christianity when she was about 16, but the Roman emperor wanted to wed his son to her. Refusing, she was thrown into a brothel, whereby the jailer goes to sexually assault her. But a she-bear, having escaped the local nearby amphitheatre, bursts through the wall and kills the jailer. Now the emperor, he's furious, and he wants her and the bear burnt alive. Now, as this process carries out, God sends rain, and the bear actually escapes. So, in his bid to kill her, the emperor has her executed. Now, the Spanish version is from a region called Galicia. It gives a different story, and there's debate if it's a different woman or if it's the same, but we're not too sure. So, in this area, and across Spain... She's known as the patron for witches, acting as an intercessor while also being prayed to to protect those from witchcraft. So how did she come to occupy this dubious territory? Well, she supposedly met Jesus while travelling, whereby he warned her that she would not be able to enter his kingdom if she carried on in her witchy ways. So she converts, but she still keeps her knowledge around witchery, and she was martyred for her faith after refusing to deny it, or in some accounts, after refusing the sexual advances of men. Coimbra in Portugal actually contains a chapel dedicated to her, supposedly marking the site where she was martyred. Young women, towards the end of spring, bedeck it with wreaths of roses, believing that was what she wore on her head. 
Now, not only is she the patron saint of witches, but she also resides over nature and animals. Saint Cyprian is next on my list, a very famous saint, heavily linked to magic and the occult. It's thought his present form derives from a mixture of two saints, Saint Cyprian of Antioch and Saint Cyprian of Carthage, and distinguishing the two is challenging because there's so little historical information and there's only folk tales. So he appears in the 3rd century CE. Cyprian was dedicated to serving Apollo. Now, by the age of seven, he was given to magicians so he could study magic, a process that would take him all over the world to study the occult, serving various deities and learning a plethora of skills, including controlling the weather. Now, he renounces paganism after facing Saint Justina in a magical battle to woo her. God was on Justina's side, and in the face of her power, Cyprian was awestruck. He burnt all his books on magic and the occult, a significant library of going from the tales, and he was martyred when he was boiled. That failed, and then he was beheaded. This is the church official story. However, folklore suggests that he didn't fully renounce his occult ways and practice them alongside Christianity. Now, years after his death, he began to regret his decision of burning his library, now, supposedly, St. Cyprian actually dictated to a German monk, Jonas Solfriano, on his books and his gathered occult knowledge. The book of San Cipriano was published in 1000 CE. It's only recently come into English print, and it isn't lacking in controversy. Supposedly, reading it backwards summons the devil, and it's been linked to murders and suicides. In all, I'd say approach him carefully, meditate on him, and see if he calls you. He's particularly popular throughout South America, and the fact that he had a powerful demon army before he renounced paganism means he's actually wonderful for protection against darker entities. He protects through his relationship with them. He's also good for necromancy, but really any area of magic would be good with him. Offerings to him would include frankincense and myrrh, a loaf of bread topped with wormwood and honey, a purple vigil candle bearing his image, or seven shiny coins, and his feast day is September 26th. He doesn't work with everyone, so don't be offended if he ignores you. Albertus Magnus is the next saint on my list. Born around the turn of 1200 CE, and while alive, he publicly stated that magical knowledge wasn't harmful, he was heavily involved in astrology and believed it was the basis for all divination methods. He was also a big fan of talismans created with astrological specifications and is considered the founder of planetary magic. Check out my exclusive content in the episode description for more information on the planets. He was also rumoured to have created the Philosopher's Stone as well as having a brass head which reportedly delivered prophecies. Now, Albertus wrote many books on a vast array of topics, including five alchemical treaties and two grimoires. Now, the church denied all this at first, saying that he had no involvement into alchemy. However, after analysing his handwriting, it was indeed discovered that he did write the documents, and looking at the content, it looked like he was a master of the occult, and one of his students described him as, quote, experienced in magic. He's a controversial figure, and he wasn't officially canonised till 1932, 
Prior to this, he was an unofficial saint. Why the long wait? Well, some speculate it's because the church was aware that he had links to witchcraft and believing him to be a sorcerer, alchemist and a necromancer. There are some within the church who vehemently oppose the idea that he's dabbled in the occult. Today, he is the unofficial patron saint of alchemy, occultism and astrology. Marie Laveau is considered by some to be an unofficial saint and is called the Voodoo Queen. I'm not going to speak about her here because there is an extensive episode of her on my Patreon. You could also look at Santa Muerte, who is a folk saint. I've covered her on my channel here as well. I've also got Saint Simon the Sorcerer. This is an interesting guy. He was commonly known as Simon Magus and he was a Samaritan, i.e. a person from ancient Palestine. A wandering magician, he converts to Christianity because he sees the power of Saint Peter and he actually offers him money in order for Peter to teach him. Peter gets annoyed and basically says, you can't buy God's gifts, go away and repent. Now, years later, Peter hears rumours about Simon that the power of God dwells within him. Simon had travelled to Rome and blended Christianity and paganism into his own cult and was on good grounds with the Roman elite after impressing Nero by passing through fire unharmed and moving objects without touching them. Miffed, Peter travels to Rome. He decides to confront Simon and they basically have a magical showdown. There's, there's no other way of saying it. Simon is asked to kill a man and he does so by whispering something in the victim's ear. Peter, on the other hand, is asked to revive him, which he does successfully. But Simon wants to prove that he can raise the dead as well, and he does so, but Peter calls it trickery. Now, for the final test, Simon has to levitate. So, from a tower high above the Roman Forum, he jumps, and indeed he levitates, held up by his spirits. But Peter casts away the spirits, causing Simon to fall and break his leg, whereby he dies a few days later. Now, from my understanding, he's a Gnostic saint. Gnosticism is the partly Christian cult that he created, and he resides over magicians, diviners, mystics, and occultists. In his book, Etruscan Roman Remains, in popular tradition, Folklorist Leyland details a ritual intended to invoke Saint Simon. Rather than the traditional nine-week novena, which is a method of reciting prayers, Prayers to Simon are chanted for three nights in a row at the stroke of midnight. The saint will supposedly arrive to ask the practitioner what do they want. He may appear in varying guises and appearing stern, frightening or sullen. If the practitioner recites the novena perfectly without missing a syllable and then answers the saint promptly and utterly without fear, then the wish is granted. Saint Simon also governs lottery numbers. Use that information as you will. Now, the last saint I thought we could look at is Saint Andrew. He was a disciple of John the Baptist and then became a disciple of Jesus. Now, after Jesus was crucified, Andrew travelled widely and he was also crucified and he asked for it to be done on an X-shaped cross so as to distinguish him from Jesus as he wasn't worthy enough cross. This X later becomes the emblem for the Scottish flag, the nation which Andrew is the patron saint of. But Saint Andrew has links with witchcraft that I couldn't really find an explanation for. He's linked to magic, divination, witches, vampires and werewolves. A lot of it could be because of the night before his feast falls. 
November 29th, said to be one of the most magical nights of the year. It's particularly powerful at midnight. It's an ample opportunity to cast spells around divination, particularly ceromancy, divination using hot melted wax, tin or lead, as well as love magic, fertility, good luck and health, as well as fortune. Now, throughout Romania on this night, he's said to favour vampires, and locals are actually in danger around this time. This date was also called the Day of Wolves, as it was thought this was when packs formed to hunt in order to survive the imminent winter. Spirits also cross the veil and haunt the land of the living. He's also the patron saint of fishing. Food offerings containing fish is always a good idea, and you could also place a net over your altar rather than an altar cloth. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So, how would you work with these saints, and why would you want to? Well, it's said that saints are more responsive to our prayers than deities or angels or higher level spirits. And saints are believed to have this aspect because they've led a human physical existence. They can actually relate to our needs and struggles and they have empathy for us. They're essentially on our level and they can be powerful allies. Which brings me to this interesting point on saint punishing or spirit shaming, which you wouldn't necessarily do for a deity, but because saints are closer to us, it's done, and it's done quite often within history. It's the idea of punishing a saint's icon. Nuns and monks were practicing this until it was outlawed in 1273 by the church, and often it involved turning a statue into a corner, covering it with a cloth, leaving it by the bin in disgrace, or burying it or covering it in dung. The idea being that it compels them to work and do what you've asked of them. There was one account whereby monks were going to face more taxation via the command of a king. Dragging their saint into the courtyard, they proceeded to whip the saint's statue on account of his failure to look after them. The king died shortly afterwards and the taxation was scrapped. The saint's statue was dragged back inside and once again revered. And working with them, it's really simple. Here's an easy way to petition. Place a glass of water out on an altar or a dedicated space. You want to light either a white candle or a candle in the saint's sacred colour, if they have one, and add more offerings if you know what that saint particularly likes. Ground, breathe, and then ask for what you want and what you need from your heart. And if you've got an icon or an image of the saint, you could use that as well. Just know that this is all a focus point and representation. It's not where their spirit resides. 
you can also say relevant psalms or scriptures that are relevant to your petition or circumstances as well. A novena is another good technique. It's typically a nine-day candle prayer. You light the candle and you pray to your saint over the nine days. A lot of these prayers have a space where you can ask for what you want and in exchange you offer something back. You can give an offering, you can say, I'll buy a statue of you, but you're petitioning a saint, do something saintly, give something back to your community, however you want to define that. You could donate to a charity that's in line with your saint's views. You can also dress the candle with herbs or anything relevant to that saint to just amplify the signal. Novenas are simple and effective, and you can get candles that are dedicated to your particular saint. However, more obscure saints, they're unlikely to have candles for them. And the candle can burn for nine days consecutively, but you don't have to do this if it doesn't feel safe. You can also leave daily offerings of water and bread. You can also celebrate their feast day. If you don't know it, go for November 1st, when it's the more general any saint's day. I would say see what saints draw you, read up about them, and see what stands out as you're reading. Don't just rely on what they are the patron of in order to work with them. Read their story and see if any of the details or if any of it relates to you and your circumstances that you're looking for magical help around. A lot of saint work is around getting something out of them, and fair enough, they have been utilised in this way throughout history. But what I would say is, I think there's something powerful in reading about a saint's life and relating to it. Incorporating them into a daily practice or prayer could be a really grounding practice that brings you closer to them. As I mentioned earlier, any saint can be petitioned magically. They've all got their roots in folk magic and all have some sort of magical, otherworldly ability. You don't have to stick with the ones I've mentioned today. Experiment and have fun with the saints. They've lived an earthly experience and they're more sympathetic to humans than any other spirit or deity. What saint is calling you? If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you've listened. It really does help the show. Alternatively, if you would like, you can support the show via my exclusive content on Patreon or through Buy Me A Coffee. All these are linked in the show notes. But before I go, the poem this week is called All Saints Day by Amy Gerstler. The holiday arrives quietly, like phrases of faint praise in Braille. Famous saints bow at the waist, then step back, making room for scores of unknown saints to whom this day also belongs. Not a glamorous bunch, these uncanonized, unsung ones, shading their eyes shyly in the backs of the minds of the few who knew them. Hungover, mute, confused, hunched, clumsy, blue, pinched, rigid or fidgety, unable to look the radioactive, well-dressed major saints in the eye, they wonder, terrified, what the fuck am I doing here? Still drenched, the tobacco-spitting fisherman who dove after a dog swept down river looks in vain for a towel, too timid to ask, his dog now sports a halo too. Robed in volcanic ash, a brave Pompeii matron is mistaken by St. Catherine for a sooty statue. An old coot who serenaded his dying wife with her favourite ukulele tunes is still trying to find her, 
as his map of the afterlife proved unreliable. What can we offer these reticent saints who lacked press agents? Flowers? Lit candles? Floating lanterns? The nerdy, fat whistleblower from the chemical plant whose played slacks made his co-workers laugh behind his back nervously joke sotto voce that he'd give his soul for a coke. But no one can hear him. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 